I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we've been doing a little summer study through this uh, passage that deals with spiritual warfare. We've been just hitting on this theme here throughout. So I'd like us to just to review and read this passage which we've been reading each week. I'm in Ephesians chapter 6. Hopefully many of you have committed this to memory. We'll begin here in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flamey darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We thank you, God, for the reading and now the teaching of your word. There's an old movie I remember from uh, a teenager, I guess. It was Forrest Gump. Uh, probably many of you have seen that. And there's a, there's a scene there where Forrest is sitting on a park branch and he's retelling anyone who will listen to him about some of his life story. And there's a nurse that sits next to him and during one of these times. And in his own awkward way, he, he looks down at her shoes and comments about her shoes. And then Forrest or Tom Hanks says... My mama always said, you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes, where they're going and where they've been. And there's something to be said about that, isn't there? We, we could walk around our day and, and just look at one another's shoes and we could probably tell a lot about them. I can think of a time when I went to prom or, or the day that I got married, I had these rented, very black and glossy shoes. I've never worn shoes like that before, but on those two days. You, you could come up to a, a working man and you could steal some steel-toed boots. Maybe the, the leather is even worn off and all you see is the steel. And you say, that right there is a working man. Uh, maybe a nurse in one of our area hospitals that is on her feet for the entire shift. You see, she needs to have some comfortable shoes. Snow camp, when we, we take our students up there, they need to have warm boots with traction. And I can remember one year where we had one of our students had like these designer dress boots. 
And it was a disaster. They they were freezing and they couldn't make it up the sledding hill. It was awful. They needed to have proper footing. Here in Wisconsin, we even wear something called house slippers, right? And sometimes people even bring their slippers with them to another house when they're being entertained. My wife is preparing for a half marathon in August, so she needed some running shoes, some special shoes for that, or sandals for the beach, or hunting boots that will keep your shoes or your feet not only dry but also warm. And I suspect there are some here that wear ballet slippers. Or if you've ever went rock climbing, you need rock climbing boots. There's, there's all sorts of different footwear. I think it was in their late 80s, I can remember a, a commercial that Spike Lee, I think, produced with Michael Jordan. Do you remember it? It's got to be the shoes in which they were kind of rolling out these Air Jordans. Now, as we're looking through this series on the armor of God, we're thinking about this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, this shield of faith, this helmet of salvation, and this sword. And we're thinking of all this armor that is on the upper part of the body. But what good is all of this armor if the soldier is in barefoot? and he is walking up some muddy, sloped incline of which he can't get there because his shoes lack the traction. So as we look at a soldier's shoes back then in the Roman army, the soldiers would have had to march on rough roads, heat, climb jagged rocks, trample over thorns, uh, make way through riverbeds of sharp stones. If his feet were cut, blistered or swollen, it would be difficult to stand and fight. So we look here at verse 15. If we just work through these phrases, we see here, and as shoes for your feet. If you have feet, it's implied that you will wear shoes, at least if you're an adult, Right? I can think of a vacation once where one of our boys forgot their shoes and they went a whole vacation without shoes. So that that can happen too. But it is implied that you will wear shoes as shoes for your feet. And then the next phrase here says, having put on the readiness. In the same way that a Roman soldier would make sure that they have shoes before they go out to battle, a Christian is about ready to put something on before they go out each day. And what is it? The last phrase here, on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Christians are furnished with some gospel equipment upon conversion. In the same way that a Roman soldier, once they were either enlisted or drafted, they were given some articles of armor, they were given a belt, they were given a breastplate, a helmet, a sword, a shield, and some shoes. In the same way that a soldier would have been furnished with this material, Christians upon conversion are furnished with some gospel resources as well. And so we've been learning about the truth, we've been learning about being clothed with the righteousness of Christ, And this morning we're going to be learning about a part of that is the peace that God brings. So what is this gospel of peace? Well, the word peace means to be complete, whole, 
at rest, stable, calm, and orderly. Well, what is the gospel? In, in 1 Corinthians 15, the verse, couple of verses says, Paul wrote, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins and that he was raised three days later according to the scriptures. So now let's just... Let's just focus a little bit by way of introduction. What is this gospel of peace? That's what it's referring to here in chapter 6, verse 10. How, how is it that we receive this gospel of peace? And instead of going outside the book, look at what it says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following. It says in, in chapter 2, verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, you who are non-Jews, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Here's what this is saying. He is saying to all those that were not Christians, those Gentiles and Jews, at one time you were separated far, far from God. You had no peace. You had no relationship with God. And then he says here in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The, the teaching of this gospel of peace is first vertical. At one time, our sin kept us from God. But Jesus came to die in our place and shed his blood for us that we might experience forgiveness reconciliation, redemption, that we could have peace with him. And once we have peace with him, then it's possible to have peace at a horizontal level as well. We see that here. The context here is of two groups of people, the Jews and the non-Jews. And he is saying now that you have peace with God, you can have peace with others. If you look at verse 15, 16, following, by abolishing law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So that's the introduction. The gospel provides peace that we can have with God and with one another. So here's what I'd like to do for the remaining part of this message. How are the boots or how are the shoes that a Roman soldier would wear into war, how is that similar 
than this gospel of peace that we have. I'm going to give you three different words, okay? Three different uh, commonalities that these boots have with this gospel of peace. The first, if you're taking notes, is the word stability. Stability. These shoes that the soldiers would wear, they had soles in them. And and they were made of metal or, or nails that would go through the soles that would provide traction. Think of football cleats that would provide traction on the ground for a soldier to be able to make their way on the territory. This peace of God that he provides for us offers the necessary grip to stand in the face of the devil and his demons attack. God's peace offers confidence in God's love. We are on God's side, and he will fight for us. So the first thing we see here is stability. If you look at this passage that we've been memorizing together, you'll see in chapter 6, look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's this idea that a spiritual attack is coming and you need to be able to stand against it. You see the same thing in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then verse 14 Stand, therefore. The idea here is that there is a spiritual attack that is coming for Christians and that they need to stand or withstand that attack. I remember years ago, one of our men was fishing here in the church and we were fishing together during the salmon run and there was a good flow of water and we were both in waders. And he said, Chad, now whenever you cross this river, and there's a steady flow. You don't go straight across. You don't go down current. Rather, you go against the current at a little bit of a slant, and you cross that way. And it's the same picture here of, of standing firm against a, a, a flow of water, a current, a current of this world, a current of sin against us. And the Bible is telling us that we can have this assurance this firmness, this confidence of experiencing the peace of God that is often felt in the midst of turbulence. Tony Evans, in his little book, Victory in Spiritual Warfare, provides an illustration. Perhaps you've heard this one before. He said there were two painters who were asked one day to paint a picture of peace. Whichever painter could paint the best picture of peace, was going to win $250,000. As you can imagine, both painters were highly motivated to paint the absolute best picture of peace that had ever been painted. The first painter set to work on his painting and began by creating a serene portrait of a lake with the sun glistening off its just the right angle so that it sparkled across the top of the water. A shepherd walked near the lake with the sheep following him at a distance. Trees stood off on one side of the lake with birds gathered in the tallest branches. After finishing his painting, the painter leaned back and took a deep breath of satisfaction. In his mind, he had portrayed peace. The second painter had a different idea in mind when he painted his portrait. In his painting, the sky was pitch black. 
Lightning shot through at the air in a zigzag movements. The painter had also had water, but the waves in this painting thrashed as if they were somehow awakened from a terrible dream. Trees bent and bowed down in the wind. The painting looked like a portrait of chaos. But when you look closely at the second artist's painting, all the way down to the bottom left-hand side, just near the very edge of the horrific scene, you could see a little bird standing on a rock. The little bird had its mouth open, as if it were singing a beautiful song. One faint light shone down from the darkness of the clouds into the bird as it snug in the spite of the situation all around it. The second painter won the competition. The judges chose him as the winner because he showed the truest manifestation of peace, a peace that resonates from within despite what's going on all around. Peace doesn't refer to an inner calm when all around you is calm. When you are surrounded by tranquility, you are supposed to be calm. When you experience godly peace, you are at rest even when everything else is wrong. Thunder and lightning may be chasing around all around you. The wind could be blowing unexpected and unpleasant circumstances into your life. Nothing looks right. Nothing looks promising. All is dark. But it's exactly in those moments when true peace wins the battle. This is because when you are experiencing chaos on the outside, the tranquility on the inside eases your mind. Isn't it true? Perhaps this morning you say, I didn't come in here experiencing peace. Paul in Philippians told us that we are to pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to have a testimony of that, where there is chaos swirling around you, and yet God provides peace for you. There are hurricanes moving around. The sea billows are rolling. Waves are crashing. And what are you experiencing? The peace of God's submarine. Are you worried and upset? No. God is surrounding me with his assurance and peace. You remember a time where Jesus was saying goodbye to his disciples before he was crucified. And he said to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In another place in the Gospel of John, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The stability is provided by this Gospel of peace. You don't need to be slipping and sliding throughout life. You can anchor your life on a right relationship with God. He sent His Son to die for you. Your peace is founded on the shed blood. A little bit later in our service, we'll be taking the Lord's Supper that helps us to be reminded of the stability that we have in the peace provided by God. Here's the second one. 
The, the second way in which the, the shoes that a soldier would wear and the gospel of peace are similar, and that is protection. Protection. At times, opponents of the Roman army would intentionally embed sharp, pointy sticks into the ground and have them facing up so that when the soldiers would approach, they would actually puncture the bottom of the feet of these soldiers. Shoes protect our feet from the elements. I don't know if you've ever had any children like this, but we had a few of our boys that they went through this phase, particularly during the winter months, when you would take about, you know, 10 minutes to get one of them dressed in all their snow clothing, and then you'd put them in the van or you'd put them in the vehicle, and you have a couple of them like that, and then you got one boy that even though the drive is 10 or 15 minutes to church or to the store, what do they do? They take their boots off and their socks off. Am I, am I the only one? Okay. And so there they are barefoot. And you're like, oh my goodness, we got to go through all of this all over again. And, and you're probably going to think, um, you're going to think down on me and that's okay. But I can remember a few different times where I just said, you know what, son, you need to learn the value of boots. And so even though we've got about a 10 or 15 foot walk from the garage floor to the, the front porch, I'm going to have you walk that. And they would. And they learned the value of winter boots and value of nice warm socks. And that didn't happen all that often because it, it, it didn't need to. And I would say the same about hot asphalt, right? So we got sandals on you right now. I'm taking those off. Okay, well, let's, let me set you down here for a little bit. Okay, where are those sandals at, right? Will shoes protect our feet? One of the movies our family watches often during Christmas is Home Alone. And uh, my favorite character in Home Alone is Marv. He's the, the long, skinny guy with the hair and the little beard. And if you know the storyline of Home Alone, the first one, Kevin's this little boy. His parents uh, fly off to Florida with his aunts and uncles and cousins, and they mistakenly leave him in this large Chicago home. And then there are these bandits, these thieves that are comical, and they're looking around for a place to break into. And one of them's name is Marv. What's the other one's name? Harry, okay. I can rely on the hurtlers for that. And, uh, and so they're going to break into this house. So Kevin, the little boy, says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set some traps. So he sets some, some down in the basement. And Marv, this crazy-looking guy, comes in, and, and he... Kevin makes it away in such a way that the, the shoes come off his feet because they're stuck to the ground. So now he's walking around barefoot. And he's walking up the basement steps. You remember what happens? There's this long, sharp nail that he steps on. And then he flies on his back. And he says, well, I'm not doing that again. So he gets out of the basement and he walks around the side of the house and he opens up the window and he sees that it's open. And he cannot wait to put his feet on the floor. Do you remember what happens? There's a whole bunch of glass Christmas ornaments. And so he puts his feet down and slams them. And I don't know that I've ever watched that movie without cringing at those, at those two scenes. Why? Because feet are, are meant to be covered when there is elements, right? And so in the same way that the, the shoes protect our feet, the, the gospel of peace protects our lives as well from the devil's traps. The traps of lies and doubts and misunderstandings and weariness and temptations. In 1 Peter 5, 8, 
the Bible says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And here's this wonderful truth that we see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This peace of the gospel is not only to provide stability, but this peace is also to provide direction, direction for our life. The word rule here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 is, is where we get the idea of an umpire in baseball. It is the umpire that calls a strike or a ball or that, that's a fair ball or that's a, a foul ball. That's a catch. No, he actually trapped it. He is safe. No, no, he is out. And the umpire has the final rule in all of those plays. And the idea here in Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 is that my relationship with God is so important to me that I want to have that peace remain there. So that peace, that relationship with God is going to rule over my life. And so God, whatever you want me to do today, the rest of this afternoon, the rest of this morning, God, you direct me and you have the final say in it. You lead me. And so one could be here this morning and saying, boy, I feel, I feel so alone. And yet God's word says to you, I am with you always. And I will never leave you or forsake you. Or, or look around at the people here in this room that care for you. And we could face a temptation that says, you know, I've been good all week. God, as best I know, I've obeyed you all week. How about you let me just have a little sinful delight right now? But this sin will have consequences to you. So we don't want to disrupt that peace. There could be anxiety that says, I don't know how I'm going to pay for my bills. But the peace will say to you, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So this peace of God not only provides stability, but it provides protection as we follow his leading to avoid the traps of the devil. And then finally, let me just conclude with the third similarity that there is between the, the shoes of the Roman soldier and the gospel of peace, and that is the word advancement. Advancement. The first two I've shared had to do more of a defense. So you need to prepare yourself because the enemy is attacking. You need to be stable in your standing. You also need to be protected. But this third word has to do with going on the offense. The soldiers here would not just hold down and protect an area, but they would go and capture an area. This past week, I learned about some military commanders like Alexander the Great and Oliver Cromwell and Montrose who were set apart in their rule because of how shifty they could make their soldiers, how, how mobile and swift they could position them. One of the primary purposes of a soldier's shoes was not just to withstand an attack, but to offer an attack on the enemy. And I think this is just speaking about going out and sharing this gospel of peace. Look at chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 18, 19, and 20. 
praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Not only have we been given this gospel of peace to experience the benefits of it, but then we have the privilege of going out and sharing it with others. A parallel passage would be Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. It's been a great, great week here, I think, for our church family. Um, I was grateful for Zach last Sunday filling in. I think he did a great job. I got a chance to listen to that message. He, he took all the students up, to, or many of the students up to Northland Camp, and, and there they got to hear the gospel, and, and many, many responded. But yesterday, we also had a, a great event within our church where our widows, we had a widows' luncheon at an area restaurant. And not only would we have a great meal, we had fellowship, but these ladies were given the opportunity just to offer a word of testimony of God's faithfulness in their life over these years. And it was just, it was so encouraging to hear one story after another of how God had met the need, how God had, had ministered to them. And I can think of one that stood out for me as, as I was thinking in these, in this context is one got up and says, you know, recently it's been a hard, hard stretch for me. I found myself in a hospital. I found myself in a rehab place. But in all of that, God has put a joy in my heart. And he's also put a desire within me to share this gospel with others. And she said, well, you know what? I found that people are so open to hearing it. I, I just start talking and ask him a simple question, and that would just open the door. And she said, you know, it is true that the fields are white on the harvest. And you know something? As we experience this peace, this peace is not just for ourselves. This peace is meant to share with others. On Friday morning, our family slipped up to Northland Camp just to be an encouragement to Zach. And we, a couple of our boys were there. And um, we had breakfast, and we were around there for the late morning, and we were doing some activities. I think the boys were playing miniature golf. And then it was announced, hey, they're serving lunch. Well, that makes sense for us to stay for lunch. And so a lot of the campers were heading to the cafeteria, including one of our boys that had stayed home this week. And we looked, and he didn't have any shoes on. And I said, hey, before we can go in that cafeteria, you need to have shoes on. You can't just go there. And I think this is the point of this passage today. You, you can't leave your house to go to school or to work, to church, or to, to visit your friend's house, your family's. You have to have shoes on, right? In the same way, loved ones, in your Christian life, you, you have to have the peace of God on your life. Yes, you experience the peace of God at the moment of conversion, but right now, how is your relationship? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace in your circumstances? Are you resting in Him and His promises? Are you being ruled by Him and His Word? And are you taking this gospel of peace with you? 
into the ripe fields of Green Bay and to Brown County. As we prepare here for the Lord's Supper, if you've never experienced peace with God, it's not very difficult. In the same way, if you are at conflict with another person in your life, what is it needed to be to restore that relationship? Well, you're going to need to humble yourself. You're going to need to admit your fault, your sin. In this case, you come to God. You say, God, I, I have been at odds with you. I've been far from you. And I don't want to be there anymore. I'm coming to you. I admit my fault. I admit my sin. God loved you so much, he sent Jesus to die for you. Jesus is our peace. He allows us to have a relationship with him and that we can have peace with one another. Are you experiencing this? Let me pray for you. Father, I I thank you for this peace that we can have. I think of an old song that Fernando Ortega would sing, Grant them peace, the most precious gift of all. Many of us in this room have experienced this peace, and we do thank you for it. I pray for the young person, maybe the older person here today that doesn't know what this peace is. May they humble themselves right now and say, I'm sorry for my sins. I place my faith in what Jesus has done on the cross for me. I believe he was raised from the dead. I want this peace, not only this just this morning, but the rest of my days. Father, there could be those that are Christians today and and they need to rest in this peace that you've provided. May they not be anxious about anything, but may they pray, pray with supplication, with thanksgiving, offer their request to you that they might experience this peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.